Hello and welcome to Downsizing, the show that shows if you can do, preach. I'm your host, the Greek god fatless, Tim Down. Uh, We're slowly, but surely, clawing our way back towards progress, boys. I'm a nice, even 265 pounds. Not as low as I once was, but I'm catching up. It's about a pound and a half this week. Um, I didn't do a whole lot this week as far as major exercise. I more just, you know, stuck to my rules, took it easy, and let the magic of reduced calories do its thing. Now, did I also have some ice cream sandwiches? Yes. Is that technically breaking the rules? Yes, again. Does that mean that when I said I followed the rules that that was a bald-faced lie? You're not going to believe this. Yes. On the bright side, I did lay the groundwork for more success. I joined a gym, which is good. However, uh, it turns out because of the the old Rona, you know, I'm not talking about the beer. Uh, You have to say in advance when you're going to go to make sure they're within capacity. So not only do I have to be motivated to go, I have to be premeditatedly motivated. Not a word. Doesn't matter. So it's not like I can just feel a spark of inspiration, as if kissed by a muse, and sashay my way over to the Iron Jungle, <laughs> which, which means it's exponentially less likely that I'm going to go. Are other weight loss podcasts like this? So pessimistic? I mean, I feel like most of them are at least meant to be kind of inspiring, you know, or I think usually they're meant to be kind of like a a source of encouragement to to other people showing that, you know, they too can achieve their fitness goals with a little bit of perseverance and a lot of bit of a can-do attitude. Instead, you guys have a crass, unintelligible jackass who gets drunk in the woods. I mean, I really should have called this podcast Cautionary Tale. Then again... Uh, If you know me, and I'd be shocked if any of you listening to this uh, don't know me in person, um, then I feel like this is more or less what you expected of me, I think. Um, Anyway, on to other business. As I mentioned last week, I quit my job. Um, I tried to blast buy, 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 buy in sync over the intercom on my way out, but uh, I don't think it worked, much to my chagrin. I was hoping for a bit of a cheeky, I don't know, breakfast club style exit, but I think it was more of a a scurry because I didn't want anyone to catch me doing it. I could have dusted off an old classic and announced Mr. Leahy to the fuck off department, but I'm just a touch too much of a coward. And I also didn't think of it until now. Uh, Hindsight's a real witch, pardon my language. On the other hand, I could always just go back in and do it anyway. I mean, what are they going to do? Fire me? They missed their... That ship has sailed a long time ago, my friends. Um, Now, my new job is pretty much a 180 for my old one. In my old job, I walked around all day lifting heavy boxes, driving a forklift, shouting the F word. And in my new job, I sit at a desk, I drink coffee, and I act like I have any business in a corporate environment. I give myself two weeks before I get too comfortable and say fuck in an HR meeting. And speaking of comfort, I'm planning on investing in a really good chair. Because as I've said, uh, I'm a wee bit obese. 
and having an uncomfortable chair isn't doing my already abused back and well rest of the body any favors. It's the same idea as with my running shoes. I'm going to get a good, comfortable one so I don't end up popping Vicodin like a medical genius in my 40s. Anyone watch House? No? Just me? Or was that just not a funny joke? I don't know why I'm reacting as though this is stand-up and I can hear you laugh or not laugh. It's a pretty weird thing to do. I mean, I'm just sitting here on my couch looking at my TV that is now broken. It's fine. It was a free TV. Looking at all the fucking cat scratches on me from the from my son. Anyway, um, so I looked up best office chair. You know, to see what my options are. And I got a few good results, but I got a very upsetting result. Uh, go ahead and look up the Bulum chair. B-O-U-L-O-U-M. Feast your eyes. Really drink it in. I hate this chair. I hate that it's $2,000. I hate that it takes four to six weeks to make. I hate that since I clicked on one article about it, I've gotten ads on every single social media platform I'm on for it. But most of all, I hate the chair itself. Look at it. It looks like the guy on the bathroom sign. And it could be the most comfortable chair that's ever been made. It could be so comfortable it makes you grow six inches taller. It could make it could make you feel like you're on ecstasy all day long. But it doesn't change the fact that it looks like if you sit in it long enough, a pair of stickman arms would slowly make their way around your body, pulling you into a gentle but firm embrace. It wouldn't feel inherently sinister. Not at first. No. At first you'd feel shocked, but maybe a little intrigued. Maybe it's a feature you didn't read about. Uh, the manual <laughs> was written in Italian, after all. You shrug it off and return to your Jody Picole novel, ready to have your heart shattered like tempered glass. But then you go to get up, and the arms don't yield. They won't release you. It's it's not that they're holding you down. It's not that you're uncomfortable. It's still incredibly ergonomic and form-fitting. But all the same, it, it won't let you leave. So you sit there, nervously trying to figure out what to do. There there must be some mistake. Surely, surely the chair isn't sentient. It, it can't have a will. It's a piece of furniture. And as you're considering trying to pry the arms open, you feel the head shift behind you, subtly, almost imperceptibly. You begin to wonder if it was just your imagination. Until you hear a voice, a genderless, ageless voice. You have a hard time telling if the voice is deep or high-pitched. It, it almost sounds like the voice in your head the voice of your own thoughts. And while you can't perceive the quality or timbre of the voice, its words echo through your mind and send shards of ice into your heart. You understand the words clear as day. 
You should have bought an Aaron. So yeah, I think it looks weird. Anyway, uh, what I did purchase this week was an adapter to plug my microphone into my phone. Or I guess, is it technically a microphone in this case? <laughs> well, I mean, what do you call it a microphone for? Is it smaller than a regular phone? I think it's about the same size. Why don't you call it the microphone? Is it, <laughs> is it like a megaphone? All right. Uh, you know what? We're not doing Jerry Seinfeld on the podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I bought it so I can record on the go. You know, maybe do some, some walking episodes or harass strangers on the street, you know? And I was trying to find an app that allows you to record through a USB mic because the audio recorder that came with my phone doesn't let you. And I found one, but there's a bit of a problem. It lets you hear yourself as you record, much like Audacity, which is what I use on my computer. But there's like a, a half second delay. And I know most of us don't like the sound of our own voice under the, the best of circumstances. But when you're constantly interrupting yourself, it's pretty much impossible to talk. Which, given how much I fuck up talking good on the show normally, it means it's essentially useless. I do have an idea of something I can do with it, but as far as the podcast goes, it's a lost cause. This is already barely listenable, as is. Um... So as I've said in the past, I also want to try and work on things to improve myself besides weight loss. And one of the things I want to work on is my attention span. I have a very hard time focusing on the things I'm supposed to be doing, which I think comes across in the show. You know, uh, I think most of what this show is, is me talking about the things that distracted me while I was trying to work on the episode. So I've tried to find things that I can do that take, um, all of my attention, um, things that I need to devote like all of my mental energy to so I, I can't afford to get distracted. I know it sounds like I'm talking about juggling knives, but I'm actually just talking about Sudoku puzzles. Uh, Sudoku? I'm going to go with Sudoku. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Sudoku, but I'm not saying that. Um, I never had any interest in doing Sudoku puzzles at, at all. Uh, I always fancied myself a, a crossword man. But in the week that I started doing them, I'm pretty sure I finished... Uh, 800% more Sudoku puzzles than I have crosswords in my entire life. Um, I don't even know why I felt the urge to start. I was just at the grocery store probably buying whipped cream or kombucha. And I saw one of those bu uh, books of like 260 puzzles for like five bucks. And I bought it, you know, uh, like an octogenarian. And I'm getting a lot of them, a lot out of them, uh, to be honest. I use them as a break while I'm writing, and it's a lot harder to go down a rabbit hole with a Sudoku than, you know, going on my phone. And uh, also, unlike a crossword, it's much harder to cheat by Googling the answers. Shout out to you, Eveline. Uh, so all around, uh, probably the best choice I've made in a while, which is, of course, uh, a low bar. Uh, also, uh, are you ready to have your socks blown off? Sudoku puzzles aren't even Japanese. They're American. They were invented by a guy in Indiana, of all places. Do you know anything about Indiana? <laughs> Me neither. Uh, they became widely popular in Japan uh, from the States, and then from there, you know, became kind of retroactively popular in the States. Kind of like uh, the blues, 
in uh, the UK. Right? That's one of those things where if you know what I'm talking about, you agree. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, I sound like a fucking idiot. Maybe I sound like an idiot either way. Um, but yeah, it's wild. I thought when I looked it up, I'd be reading about like Edo era Japan or, you know, something to do with the emperor. Imagine my surprise when I laid my eyes on Indiana. Uh, I'll close out the first half, uh, this week by telling you the one interesting thing I found out about Indiana. Uh, 90% of the world's supply of popcorn comes from Indiana. Yeah. I'll bet that made you at least go. Now, as always, we're going to tuck into a juicy topic in the second half. But first, a word from this week's sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, did you know that the bottle opener has been around for over a hundred years? That's right. For over a century, people have been cracking cold ones with the help of a trusty bottle opener. But anyone who's even a little bit of fun, and maybe a touch forgetful, has found themselves with a cooler full of pops with no bottle opener. And then what do you do? Well, any number of things. You can use a lighter, a seatbelt, a knife, counter, decorative katana, hockey skate. The list never ends. But now, let me give you another hypothetical. You're at a barbecue. You've just cracked a fresh IPA, but... Oh no. You forgot you need to get home right away to feed your cat, dog, or child. What are you going to do? Are you just going to dump it out on the lawn like a sick fuck? Are you going to just hand it to someone else for free? Like some dirty commie? Maybe those were your only options in the past. But thanks to this week's sponsor, there's another way. This week's episode of Downsizing is brought to you by the Bottle Closener. The world's first and only bottle closer. Using their patented technology... They can recap and reseal any kind of bottle, making sure you can be refreshed at any time. Barbecues, dinner parties, airport bars, anywhere you're starting a party, the Bottle Closener is there to make sure you can take the party anywhere you go. For a limited time, my listeners can get 15% off their order with code word down for the close at checkout. The Bottle Closener. Put a lid on it. And we have returned. All right, folks. This week... We're going to talk about strongmen. Now, I mean specifically strongmen, as in those who compete in strongmen competitions, but also, more broadly speaking, men who are strong. Because I'm going to go through the differences between strongmen, powerlifters, and bodybuilders. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about working out these days, and the stuff these guys are able to do uh, it really wants, wants, to, <laughs> wants to make me hit the gym. <laughs> it's like... Hey, it makes me want to hit the gym. Um, now, not enough to actually really go as of yet. But still, it's percolating. You know, uh, keep your eyes peeled on my Instagram. Before you know it, I'll be posting clips of myself deadlifting to classic hip-hop tracks. Like, everybody else seems to be doing these days. Uh, so first off, we're going to talk about powerlifting. Because it's pretty much the most straightforward of the three. Um, now, in essence, powerlifters compete to lift the heaviest weight. This, of course, goes back thousands of years. It's a time-honored tradition amongst the boys to lift as much as you can. Both 
to impress the ladies, and for the privilege of getting to call everyone else a pussy. It's as time-honored as getting in trouble for saying fuck at school. And weightlifting uh, has been a sport in the Olympics since like 1896. And the Olympics just happened, I'm told. I didn't watch a second of them. All I know about what happened is because of the memes, like 90% of everything that happens in the world. But modern powerlifting is pretty specific. There's only three lifts. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I was going to give a bit of history, you know, to how powerlifting started, how it developed over time. Maybe some of the big names involved, you know. But, guys, it was so boring. I'm reading all this information, all these facts, all these names, all these dates, and my eyes just glazed over. Because it's lifting stuff. At the end of the day, it's just lifting stuff. No matter how heavy it is, it's just lifting stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. It's incredibly, incredibly heavy stuff. But there's a limit to how much you can really get into into the weeds on it, you know? I'm sure on another podcast, they could really dig deep and talk about the the pros and cons of a, a mixed grip lift. But that's that's not this podcast. On this podcast, we do what we want. We break rules. We stumble over our words. We shit our pants. That's That's how things roll in my neck of the woods. What I will do... Uh, as far as powerlifting goes, is talk about the three lifts and what the world records are. Uh, oh, and I should mention, unlike with strongmen, um, as we'll see a bit later on, uh, powerlifting is all about lifting the absolute maximum that you can for one rep. Usually, uh, in a competition, you get three tries, and your heaviest lift is the one that gets chosen. Um, so the three lifts, we've got the, the bench. So to start off, we have the bench press, uh, which let's be real should actually be called a push up. Do at me, come at me. Let's, let's get some hate mail going boys. Um, the world record for the bench press was sent by Blaine Sumner in 2016. He bench pressed, uh, 885 pounds. Yeah, that's like a, a motorcycle with a teenager on it. Um, I think I can probably bench, I don't know, 110 pounds. The last time I actually did a bench press, it was when I was like a, a teenager. And I'm pretty sure it was somewhere around there. And I have no real reason to believe that that's changed. I mean, probably count on one hand the amount of times I've worked at my chest in the past Oh my God, has it been, it's been nine years since I've been a teenager? Nope. It's, but it's been <laughs> my entire life that I've been bad at math. So let's just move on here. <laughs> Next up is the, is the squat, the shitting stance. Now the world record for squats was also set in 2016. Uh, maybe there was a, a shortage of gravity that year. They're a better joke. It was set by Andre Milanichev, who lifted uh, 1,069 pounds. Now, now once you're getting into the 1,000-pound the range, that's, uh, 
It's a whole different ball game. I mean, you couldn't even bring all that weight in one car, and some guy is just going to lift it. That's not to mention the platform you perform on, and you know what I mean? Like, it has to withstand a thousand pounds just dropping onto it. Like, it's the equivalent of that, that guy who installed cabinets and then got in them to show, like, how strong they were. You know what I'm talking about? It was like a meme, like, a couple years ago. It's like a kind of bald guy with a drill. No? Okay. Uh, deadlifts. Deadlifts kind of came out of nowhere for me. Uh, I'd never heard of them. And then all of a sudden, everyone was doing them, and it seemed like it was all that anyone cared about. Uh, it also seems to fly in the face of what everyone says about lifting heavy things, where you have to use your legs um, and not your back. It looks like it would snap your back in half, but somehow people just lift an insane amount of weight. Uh, the current world record is held by Hafthor Julius Bjornsson, world's strongest man, who lifted 1,105 pounds in 2020. Um, all these records come from the uh, Guinness Book of World Records, by the way. And I don't usually use beer companies as a source, but apparently everyone decided that Guinness is really reputable and academic at one point. Now everyone just kind of goes with it. So, uh, you know, is what it is. Maybe there'll be like a Budweiser version of JSTOR. <laughs> I don't think that joke's for anybody. I think the amount of people that find that joke funny is like, it's maybe five people that would think that's a funny joke. That's a really good idea. Just undermine your own jokes in your podcast. You know, I mean, for all I know, I'm killing it. I'm making everybody laugh constantly. But that's why I do comedy, you know, the need for constant validation. My girlfriend just peeked in to see if I was recording on the couch, and I am. But you know that. Uh, <laughs> now, moving on, uh, we have strong men. Now, in doing research for this episode... It seems as though powerlifting and bodybuilding um, both kind of developed out of strongmen, kind of in like the circus. Um, because back in the day, being super ripped was pretty uncommon. You know, there were there were no steroids, no pre-workout, no real equipment besides just heavy-ass weight. So you had to really want to get muscular, and. Um, out of the three forms of strength training I'm I'm talking about, this one, in my eyes, is still the closest to like a circus act. Um, there's a lot of events that still have the kind of spectacle and, and pageantry from, you know, the circus days. Um, you know, this, after all, this is where guys, you know, lift two fridges at once, pull fire trucks, flip tires, you know, all that shit. In the circus, and I think also in freak shows, um, maybe they're sp you're supposed to call them sideshows, but you know, eh, freak shows. Uh, strong men would perform feats of strength where they would lift, well, you know, really heavy weights and pose, showing off their muscles, which we'll talk uh, more about when we get to bodybuilding. Uh, but there are a few things I found pretty interesting about strong men from back in the day. So, 
uh, in the 19th century, bodybuilders were expected to do uh, what we would describe today as uh, sort of a meet and greet. Where in the intermission, they would mingle with the crowd to, to show off their muscles and, and perform you know, feats of strength, like bending nails or, or card tearing. Now, initially, I was like, damn, people must have been uh, pretty weak back in the day of ripping a card in half was considered impressive. I mean, <laughs> I know people used to be malnourished, but I don't know how anything even got built. I mean, how could you even pick up a hammer? Uh, well, as it turns out, they would uh, rip an entire deck of cards in half, which is still something that's done today. Kind of like the little brother version of ripping a phone book in half, uh, which is about all they're good for these days. Um, the other thing that, uh, that made me raise an eyebrow was that some of these fellas would sell pictures of themselves. Not just any, any old pictures. Nude pictures. That's right. Strongmen used to have OnlyFans. And good for them. I mean, modern strongmen should have OnlyFans. I'm sure they'd make a killing. I did look into it, and I didn't really find any that actually have one, at least with any kind of popularity. Um, and I already have so, so, so many pictures of shirtless, muscular men in my search history from doing research for this podcast. So, uh, yeah, you know, more to the point. <laughs> uh, everybody these days talks about, you know, their grind set and how they're always hustling to make a name for themselves, how they're sigma males but uh, i mean come on this was the 19th century you can't just take a quick snap of your twig and berries on a whim like today's fast-paced world you have to go to a place you have to set everything up you take a picture that took eight hours to expose it's a whole operation i mean uh, imagine having that level of confidence in your body to to ride a horse to go get it photographed and then sell it to people. <laughs> it's a it's a level of confidence I aspire to have. 19th century bodybuilder sex worker confidence. It's unreal. Um nowadays strong men are are not so big on aesthetics aside from the aesthetics of having terrible tattoos and and huge arms. Um they are entirely about performance, similar to powerlifters. Um, but strong men participate in a much wider range of events. Um, there's the car pulling, like I mentioned before. There's also the Atlas Stones, which are usually the, the, the marquee event of a strongman competition. Um, you've probably seen this if you've seen any footage at all of a competition. Uh, typically, there are five stones ranging from maybe about 200 pounds to around 350 pounds. Although the world record was set last year with one weighing in it, uh, well, uh, 602 pounds, which is uh, incredibly impressive. However, uh, because I've been reading so much about these insanely heavy lifts, I can't help but sort of look past that and think about other considerations. I mean, it's one thing to have really heavy barbell plates, right? Like, you can just kind of lay them flat. You can put them on a pallet or something, you know? Um, but a 600-pound ball, 
how do you transport it? How do you make sure it doesn't roll away? Because if that thing gets going, it's going to break more than hearts. I mean, what am I, Guy Ritchie? Who is this, Snatch 2 Electric Boogaloo? Now, I looked it up, and uh, all I could find were tips on how to physically lift them for a competition. Nothing on how to actually, you know, transport or store them. So, uh, hey, if anyone here is in logistics or has had an Atlas stone delivered, it's very specific, uh, let me know. One final thing I want to touch on for strong men is their diet. Because, well, it's pretty fucking insane. A lot of them eat close to 10,000 calories a day. Which, to put it lightly, is a lot. I've said in past podcasts that it's generally recommended that the average person eat around 2,000 calories a day to be healthy. And to maintain a healthy weight. Now, of course, uh, the average person doesn't have a vested interest in lifting 1,000 pounds. Um, I came across uh, sort of this distinction when researching bodybuilding, which is kind of different ways in how you can approach putting on weight, which I'll kind of discuss a a little bit later. Um, But uh, so on the one hand, you have clean bulking, which is is where you try and put on as much muscle as you can while trying to limit the amount of fat you put on. It's very, it takes a long time. It's very, you know, specific. This is, I think, I believe where counting your macros comes in. Uh, Dirty bulking, on the other hand, is where you just put on as much weight as you can without really caring about how much, you know, fat you put on, Um, which describes how I was eating six months ago. But it sort of seems like a lot of strong men go this route. Um, As a bit of homework, if you want to see what this kind of diet looks like, you can take a look on YouTube. Uh, Brian Shaw has a video where he shows uh, his 12,000 calorie diet. And a fella named Robert Oberst shows off his uh, <clears throat> 20,000 calorie diet, which, uh, you know, is almost more impressive than his ability to lift heavy things. Uh, and finally, we got bodybuilding. The end goal of a bodybuilder is pretty much uh, entirely aesthetic, which is college, college talk for looking nice. It's a muscular beauty pageant. Only in beauty pageants, you actually have to answer questions and have a talent. Uh, Now that I've surely pissed off a large group of muscular men who could no doubt fold me up like a receipt, let's get into a little bit of history, shall we? So most people trace the history of bodybuilding back to a guy named Eugen Sandow. He was Prussian, so you know he was old school, lived a long time ago. Uh, He started out as a circus athlete and strongman. And after winning a strongman competition in London in 1889, he blew up, as the kids say, and became popular. And people from all over wanted him to come perform his feats of strength, um, even when it wasn't Festivus. Uh, Now, one such person was a guy named Florence, Florence Ziegfeld, who was an impresario. Now... What the hell kind of title is impresario? (laughs) What is he, some kind of pasta? (laughs) I had to look into it. And I found out that an impresario is kind of like a producer, mainly of like live stage shows like concerts, operas, musicals, and strangely, rodeos. Operas and rodeos don't typically have that much overlap. It's like a carny composing classical music. 
So anyway, Ziegfeld hired Sandow to perform in his father's nightclub, lifting heavy weights, breaking chains, shit like that, and posing. But Ziegfeld noticed that people paid much more attention to his body than the heavy weights he was lifting. Which seems like a not bad problem to have. I mean, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world for me if people couldn't focus on my jokes because they thought I was handsome. You know what I mean? Uh, One word. Now, because of this, Sandow's shows turned into him just posing and became all about his physique. Which, as much as I hate to mention here, was based on the fucking ancient Greeks. He actually measured the statues and based his own body proportions on them and helped develop something called the Grecian ideal in fitness, which, yeah, who gives a shit? Um, He also judged the first ever bodybuilding competition alongside two other judges, Charles Laws Wittenrange, a sculptor, and Sir 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 Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, the guy who created Sherlock Holmes. I mean, maybe things were different back in the day, but that kind of feels like if the world's strongest man was judged by Arnold Schwarzenegger, Stephen King, and Banksy. Now, as far as the history of bodybuilding goes, that's kind of where my interest ends. And uh, I have no responsibility to giving you an in-depth survey of bodybuilding. This is not a lecture, and I don't work out. What I will say is one final thing about Eugene Sandow, and then I'm going to talk about um, how bodybuilders prepare for competition. So, in 1902, he lost a weightlifting competition to a gal named Katie Brumbach. That's right. She was a gal, a dame, a broad, a chick, a skirt, a senorita, a member of the fairer sex, an ingenue who could lift 300 pounds straight over her head. So, me. She could lift me over her head. Which is very strange to me because I'm not used to being lifted up. I honestly think I would just giggle uncontrollably if someone picked me up and over their head. But she did it to her husband as part of her show. She'd twirl him around like a baton. Um, Now back to bodybuilders. There's a lot of prep that goes into their competitions. In what is comically described as the off-season, they work on building muscle. Which is, uh, this is most of their year. You may have heard the terms bulking and cutting usually to mock people that talk about bulking and cutting. But this is where that takes place. With bulking, you're basically trying to eat more calories than you need to gain weight. Obviously, mostly muscle. Uh, And then you go through a cutting phase before a competition where you try to lose as much fat as you can while losing as little muscle as possible. Um, They also do other things like, you know, uh, do what I feel like, encroaches on blackface or black full body because you see some of these guys on stage and then you see them just walking around it's i mean it's like it's like going from milk to a mahogany desk if you know what i mean um (laughs) now when they do compete uh it's not based on performance in the same way that powerlifting or strongman competitions are it is almost entirely based on aesthetics and symmetry Uh, they're also judged in their poses but it's really based on their physique so i mean it pretty much is just a stripped down version of a beauty pageant 
Well, now that I've more or less talked shit about every category of horrifyingly strong man, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a day here. Uh, a little tardy this week. I'm getting the episode out, of course. That's uh, you know not what we strive for in the uh, the old downsizing podcast. But hey, you know what? This is not based on me. <laughs> the premise of this podcast is not based on me being. Uh, uh, consistent or, uh, what you might describe as reliable. So, you know, you get what you pay for. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's a free show. Um, anyway, as always, you can follow me on Instagram at excessively underscore Caucasian or send me a little email at downsizingpod at gmail.com. Tune in next week to see if I can hit my deadline or uh, deadlift or deadline lift, dead lift line. Oh my God, it's so forced and it doesn't even make any fucking sense. Steak and eggs and eggs and steak. That's what you should have for breakfast. Delicious. Steak and eggs and eggs and steak. Just making sure you heard I got it. Steak and eggs and eggs and steak. That's what you should have for breakfast. Delicious. Steak and eggs and eggs and steak. Just making sure you heard. I got it. Steak and eggs and eggs and steak. That's what you should have for breakfast. Delicious. Steak and eggs and eggs and steak. Just making sure you heard. I got it. Steak and eggs and eggs and steak. That's what you should have for breakfast. Delicious.